0: I'll tell you what, can you imagine what it was like to be there on that first Easter morning? I mean, think about it. Think about those, those ladies walking up to the tomb. Just think about what they had to have been feeling. They were broken, they were devastated. Kelly, I, I just tried to put myself in that spot. And then they walk up to that tomb and 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 there's it's it's wait, wait, what, what? It's open. And, and then they they were, were totally expecting to to they prepared all those spices and, and all those things to anoint the body of Jesus. Think of the boldness of those ladies. Like, I don't care if there's Roman guards there. I don't care. I'm going to go and do this job. And they walk up. Wait, wait a minute. And they run inside, and it's like, where, where is he? I can imagine them looking over, seeing the, the grave clothes folded. And then, and then let's not forget that, that statement that was made to those women As those angels are there, and 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 they and he and he he said to them, "Why are you looking for the living among the dead?" And can you imagine as they're as they're trying to wrap their head around what they're experiencing, like in the moment? Here is I can imagine their mind going, "Wait a minute, we 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 were there when he was arrested." And we saw those, those guards grab him and take him off, and we, were, we, we walked the road with him. The ladies, I mean, all the guys ran, but John. Uh, the ladies were there. And, and we, we saw them hit him, beat him, crucify him. We saw it. We saw him die. But then that, they're processing what that angel said. He's alive. And I'll tell you, it was, it was amazing to watch the passion that Amber had. It was moving to my heart today. Because I can imagine those ladies with that kind of passion going to the disciples going, Peter, John, John, James, get up, boys. Get up. He's not there. He, he's, he's alive. Get up. And, and I can imagine the, the passion in those ladies uh, those ladies, ladies' voices in their and their body language as they were like, get up. And then then Peter and John ran to the tomb, and and he's not there. And and I can imagine all these things coming together. Folks, let me tell you something. Jesus is alive. He's alive. I mean, this is an incredible day because this is a day that, that believers all over the world come together to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. And you know what, that, that moment with the disciples was just the beginning because then we know that over 40 days, Jesus began to, to teach them and appear to them. And, and now, today, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 1. That this is the last moment that the resurrected Christ was on the earth. And, and the disciples and the men and women that were around him were absolutely convinced that he's alive because they're talking to him. They're walking with him. And believe me, this is a moment that Jesus had all of their attention. They, they, I mean, and I guarantee if we were sitting with them, he would have our attention too. Acts chapter one, let's stand together. If you're visiting today, um, we stand in honor of God's word and it's, it's just part of our practice because we see the word of God as authoritative. And, it, and it, it shapes us. And so it's a good practice for us to just stand and, and let, the, let God's word just be. But as we read Acts 1, 1 through 11, I want you to pay attention to something. I want you to pay attention to how Jesus is referenced in every verse. Catch that. Look at Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, written by Luke. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold two men stood by them in white robes and said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, and this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, you may be seated now now here's here's something I, I want us to catch, and it 's obvious, but Let's let's grasp this. The first point that we need to see today is there is overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Christ. You know, let's not miss that. Look at verse three. Let's look at this. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days. You know you know let's let's just state the obvious here there uh, as a, as a follower of Christ we don't have to check our brain at the door there's a lot of people that 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 will criticize Christians saying you Christians you just you just have blind faith oh uh, you just believe what you can't see and are there aspects of 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 God's revelation that that we don't understand and we have to trust by faith absolutely but let me tell you something there is a a rational reason to believe in Jesus. And when it comes to the resurrection, this is not something left to speculation. This is a moment that happened. And and the scripture says right here in Acts chapter one that there were many proofs that Christ rose from the dead. Now that's an interesting um, and important thing to wrestle with today. You know, there's uh, one of my favorite philosophers. His name's Mortimer Adler, and he's written a lot. And he, he is one of those philosophers. That, he's the philosopher that made famous the two ways that we can determine truth. He said you can determine truth by one of two ways. The first way is a matter of taste. What do you prefer? You know, I got my, my Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke up here. You know, my, my dad hated Dr. Pepper. It was my favorite. My dad said it tastes like prune juice. And I said, oh, Dad, it makes you regular. You ought to drink it. And uh, he goes, oh, it's terrible. I go, no, it's incredible. But, but um, Diet Coke, who drinks this stuff? This stuff is terrible. Brad Ehler likes this stuff. And I, I'm like, it's awful. It's awful. Have you tasted this? People say, oh, you'll get used to the aftertaste. Why do you drink something that you have to get used to the aftertaste? That's, that's a terrible idea. And, and you know what? I could, like what I'm doing now, I'm standing in front of you making a very accurate case that Dr. Pepper is way better than Diet Coke. And I'm right on that. And you might say, and some people say, well, Well, that's a matter of taste. I'm sorry, Chris, I prefer a bad aftertaste and like Diet Coke. Well, it's a matter of taste. But but you know what, there's another way to determine truth according to Mortimer Adler. He says, you also determine truth by a matter of fact. You know, my, my daughter is, my youngest daughter has decided to major in math. That's a terrible idea, isn't it? I mean, I'm like, why would you do that? She's majoring in math. Well, you know, math is not a matter of taste. For example, if I, if I said to you, uh, two times two is four, that would be right. Because you know, regardless of how you feel, you might say, well, I really feel like two times two is six. But you would be wrong because math is logic, math is, a, is a, not a matter of taste, it's a matter of facts. Well, let's consider something about the resurrection of Christ. Some people say, well, when it comes to my, you Christians, I just prefer another belief, I prefer, you know what, what Mormonism teaches, or I prefer what Buddhism teaches, or I prefer what, what uh, Confucius says, or, or I really prefer Muhammad. And a lot of people in our, in our pluralistic society, because that's the kind of society we live in, that we believe that, oh, there's a lot of ways to God. Well, that's a, there's a problem with that idea if the resurrection of Christ really happens. And, and, and you know what history shows? History points to this moment in time when, when Jesus conquered the grave. Well, folks, let's just use our, um, let's just use our rational mind for a second. If Jesus really did conquer the grave, who else did that? Nobody. And I would say to you if, like like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, let me tell you, if the resurrection of Christ happened, nothing else matters. And, And here's what we know from history. Let me give you a little short history lesson. In AD 33, this group of people saw Jesus and walked with him, and, and, and they so believed that Jesus rose from the dead, they were so convinced that in a matter of 30 years, from A.D. 33 to about A.D. 64, it so rapidly grew that, that it became the most transformative belief in the history of the world. And here we are today. I got a, a text message early this morning from a friend of mine in Budapest, Hungary, who, who sent me a quick message that said, hey, Chris, happy Resurrection Day. And here we are now, 2,000 plus years later, gathering around the world with believers everywhere. Let me tell you something. The resurrection of Christ is rooted in history. History is not a matter of taste. History is a matter of fact. And you can prefer to believe that Abraham Lincoln was the first president of the United States, but the fact is George Washington was. Let me tell you something why it makes sense to believe in Jesus, because it was a moment in history you need to see, and I pray we understand this and grasp this, that Jesus was a living historical figure. And because he lived, he actually lived on this planet and walked this earth, Philippians 2, 9 through 11 makes incredible sense that therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And folks, there's, there's no one else who had the power to conquer the grave. Jesus was a living historical figure. That's one of the proofs that we see in history. And there's another thing that, we, uh, that moves us, the proofs that Jesus was who he says he is, that, that the miracles he performed were well documented and were known. The people that saw Jesus looked at him and said, who are you? you teach like one with authority, they said. And and they said, look, no one can do what you do unless you are God. In fact, John chapter 1, John wrote about this man named Nicodemus that we've heard about. And if you're familiar with the book of John, it says in verse 1 in John chapter 3, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. And the people who saw Jesus were convinced that he had power in his life that was different. That they, they were convinced that he was God in the flesh. There's another thing. And this is interesting. One of the proofs that, that Jesus was God is that, is that he claimed to be God and allowed people to worship him as God. Let's think about that. The disciples believed who he was. They walked with him. And that's why it makes sense in Matthew 16 when when Peter looked at Jesus and said, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but from my Father in heaven. And and the disciples were convinced that Jesus was God. But you know what else is amazing to me? Do you know who else was convinced that Jesus was God? His brothers. His brothers. I mean, I don't know about you, I got a brother. His name's Mike. And if my brother was walking around Oklahoma saying, Hey Chris, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I'd be like, Mike, shh, stop. Stop doing that. You're embarrassing our family. That's exactly the posture of Jesus' brothers early in his ministry. They didn't believe that their mom. When their mom said, No, he's the Messiah. They were embarrassed at Jesus, and, and I can relate to that. I can imagine that's true. But, but, but then you see a complete transformation in the brothers of Jesus. You see this in James chapter 1, verse 1. As James, the brother of Jesus, writes, James, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. That's his brother. Folks, you know, we've, we've seen people in the world that claim to be God. They usually come from California for whatever reason and the uh, land of fruits and nuts or whatever. But um, no offense. If you're from California, welcome to Oklahoma. I'm glad you're here. Um, but, um, but you know, we look at people that claim that. They're like, you're, you're nuts, man. See ya. But Jesus claimed to be God. And allowed people to worship him as God. And let me tell you something. He proved that he was God when he rose from the dead. But you know what else? This is so fascinating. One of the proofs that Jesus is God, he came at the time of Passover. Now, that's so very important to understand, especially when you recognize Passover. That was the historic generational celebration of the Jews when, when they, would, they would celebrate that God delivered them from their bondage. And the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost in Egypt was, was what delivered them. God used that, that, that deliverance of the blood, and they celebrated it for generations And wow, at the time of the Passover, it happened to be Passover when when God's people were gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate their deliverance. Here comes the Messiah entering the scene, shedding his blood. And what happened is there's this big theological word that describes what happened, and I've been thinking about it for the last little bit, this big theological word called propitiation, which describes the wrath of God coming and being turned to favor. That's what propitiation means. And, and, and this is what Jesus did. He went to the cross. And 1 John 4.10 talks about this. Now, why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, 1 John 4.10 says, Now this is love, not that you loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for our sin." So on the cross, you see Jesus going and, and the wrath, of the full wrath of God came on him at the time of Passover as the children of Israel were celebrating their deliverance and the, the full wrath of God comes on Jesus and what faith in him now means, if you trust him, your life will move from wrath to favor. And Jesus conquered, conquered the grave Proving that the scriptures are true. Proving that that death is disarmed. Proving that, that our doubts about God, our doubts about eternal life and eternity, they should be eliminated. See, because so many people throughout the history of the world wonder, I wonder what happens when you die? I think when most some people get to the, ah, uh, maybe you're just dead, nothing happens. But it's interesting that all through history, most thinking people, and, I, and maybe the people that think too much are those that think you just become dirt when you die. But most people throughout history have looked at life have faced death, and there's something inside of all of us us, that come to the knowledge that there's something beyond the grave. And Jesus rose from the dead proving that is true. And so here's, look at verse four. Or no, let's look at the end of verse three. For 40 days he appeared to them, And notice what he spoke about. Look at the end of verse 3, speaking about the kingdom of God. Folks, there's a kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God describes a right now and a not yet. The kingdom of God points to the fact that death is only a door to eternal life. And Jesus spoke often about the kingdom of God. And look at verse 4. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Jesus pointed to the fact that the Holy Spirit was gonna come and folks, this was the beginning. The Holy Spirit came on the disciples. And from that moment on, the gospel began to transfer and begin to go one at a time from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and the Holy Spirit began to work. And you know what's amazing? We are now still in the days where the Holy Spirit is working. And I want you to realize the Holy Spirit is working right now in this moment. And every time we come together in worship, every day we engage the word of God. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and it's very important not to miss the moment. And so many people get so focused on this life, they miss the Holy Spirit's work right now. I don't want you to do that. The Holy Spirit's at work. And here's what, I want you to recognize that God is at work in you. God is at work through you. God is at work around you. And this is what I'm grateful for, the Holy Spirit's work in our life, that that the Spirit of God is moving. The third person of the Trinity is moving, and he's drawing. And and here's what God the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comforts us. And with our doubts, with our fears, with all the things going on in the world, with all the, the questions that we have, the Holy Spirit brings comfort to us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Oh, that's so very important to recognize. Well, I've watched that happen today. There was a gentleman who came to the last service and I ran into the hallway and I said, hey, thanks for coming to church today. He goes, oh man, I need to get back here. I need to come every week. And I was like, me too? I, I know I'm the pastor, but I need to come every week too. But the Holy Spirit convicts us there was a man in the second service here just a few weeks ago was in my office. And he said to me, "You know, Chris, I don't I've grown up in church, but but you know what? I don't feel conviction. I can go sin and do whatever I want and I I don't feel conviction of this, of the spirit of God. I think that's I think there's something not right there." And I said to him, "You're right." And as we dug into that, and as we dug into what salvation is, and dug into what the Holy Spirit was doing, and he was in my office, he goes, I need to be saved. We've had 10 baptisms today in our church. 10 people that have come to say, look, Jesus has changed my life. And here's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He convicts you. And we're learning to lean into that and to Process that. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit corrects us. The Holy Spirit guides us. And my prayer today is that you allow the Holy Spirit to move you in this moment, to to refocus you, to guide you, to to maybe bring you back to the Lord. Maybe the Holy Spirit today is saying to you, you need to be saved. Oh, listen to the Lord today. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And, And what you see here is God saying to the disciples, Look, I've got a plan for the world. And you know, when I look at our news reports today and I look at the, the world that is shaping in, in front of us and, the, and the, the, the world stage that's playing out, let's not forget that God has a plan for the world. And let me tell you something, God's got a plan for your world, for your life. Look at verse eight. He says, don't worry about my plan for the world, but, but notice this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a small thing to recognize that the disciples got the vision that I'm to go and, and minister and serve the Lord in my city and communicate to Jerusalem. Then, then I'm going to we're going to expand outside of just my city and we're going to go to my state area, my, 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 the, the surrounding area, and we're going to go to my Judea. But you know what? We're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to get out. We're going to go to a place that may be difficult to go to, like Samaria, and we're going to expand our reach. And you know what eventually we're going to do? Is go to the end of the world, the ends of the earth. And oh my goodness, it's here we are. Indian territory, talking about Jesus. How cool is that? Folks, the Spirit of God is at work. But look at verse nine. And while he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. Can you imagine that moment? I mean, there he's talking, and all of a sudden, what? And you know, this is one of the first places in Scripture. Look at verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes. Do you know, this is one of the rarest moments in Scripture um, where most of the time when, when an angel or angelic creatures appear, because angelic creatures are real, spiritual is real. Let's not forget that. Most of the time when angels reveal themselves or spiritual beings reveal themselves, what is the first thing people say? Don't be afraid, right? That's the first thing. That, that's, that's the most common response when, when human beings experience spiritual beings. So that shows that it's not like the precious moment thing, okay? That's not a thing, Okay, is that a thing? Is precious? Do people still buy those things? Do they sell those? Oh, I haven't seen any for a while. I'm never going to buy one because that's not what an angel looks like. A little scarier. But these men look at these angels and go, What's up? Did you see that? And they said, Why do you stand looking into heaven? And look what he says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Folks, can I tell you something? This is so very important to realize. Do you realize that most people through history will die on an appointed day? But there will be a generation in the history of the world that sees the physical return of Christ to the world. And so I want you to recognize that incredible truth. Let me say it again. Most people will die on an appointed day. But there will be a generation that sees the return of Christ. So I don't know if you and I are going to have our Psalm 139, 16 moment. And that says that all our days ordained for us were written in a book. I don't know if that's, if that's going to be the, the, the journey for each one of us or if we will be the generation that literally sees the coming of Christ. Ha, ha, ha. I, I read my Bible. I read Second Timothy chapter three, and it makes me go, "Hmm, hmm." That talks about what the climate's going to look like, what people are going to look like in the in the last days. You got to you got to write down Second Timothy five one through three one Second Timothy three one through five. Excuse me, three one through five. I read Matthew twenty four, and it makes me go, "Hmm." as I just caught a little bit of the news today about wars and rumors of wars and world powers staging and questions about Taiwan and things unfolding. I read Matthew 24 that says, there'll be earthquakes in various places. Hmm. Kind of strange that in Tulsa, uh, this week, there was an earthquake. Hmm. I I don't know that I can find Tulsa in the Greek of various places, but it sure seems like Tulsa would be a various place. All that points to the coming of Christ. Christ. So my prayer is that this Easter is not just an Easter that I checked a box and I went to church. But you allow the Holy Spirit to move you, to focus you, to refocus you, to draw you. And can I challenge you with three things? First is this. Be aware of the spiritual battle. We live at a time and in a place that looks at Christians and say, oh, you're just one of many beliefs. You're just one of the ways to heaven. Folks, there's one way to heaven. And it's by grace through faith in Jesus. And there's a spiritual battle raging around us. This battle of, ah, you ain't going to follow that book, are you? We are. We will. But we're not just following a book. We're the Holy Spirit is at work. Opening eyes, opening minds, and it's my prayer that for some of you, that Christ captivates you today. There's a spiritual battle. You know what? Can I challenge you to be aware of it? And listen to the Lord, here's a second challenge. I want to challenge you to stay attached to God's people. Let me tell you something, life is too short. And these days are too critical not to walk together. And like my friend said today, I need to be back every week. Look, we walk together as a family. And I'm thankful for our church family. Because it's in this group, we live here, we walk together, we, 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 we sharpen one another, we, we work together. This past couple of weeks, I have benefited from being a church member here. As I watched my dad go to heaven a few days ago. and. Let me tell you something. Life is going to be challenging at times, but we walk together. I want to challenge you. Stay attached to God's people. Third, stay attentive to the Holy Spirit. Be attentive. Be mindful. Let's stay attentive. And what a beautiful example right here of a child crying out for his mom. You know what? A mom was a teneth. And let me tell you something. When you cry out to God, he's a teneth. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you come to Jesus, he'll save you. And my prayer is today that you come to Jesus. We're going to have an invitation, and Joe's going to come up, and and there's going to be some staff members around the room today. Let's not miss the moment. I'm so grateful that God gave me a Romans 5.8 moment. You know what Romans 5.8 says? It says It says God demonstrates his love for us in this. I love it that Paul, when he wrote that, used the present tense. Because, he says, God demonstrates his love for us. Because God is continually demonstrating his love. He's continually demonstrating his love for you. That even though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. That's so mind-boggling to me. Because God knew me. He knew that I was... I was going to know what was right, and I just wouldn't do it. I'd be like, no, I don't want to do it. He still died for me. See, God knew that there would be times in my life that I would just be so inattentive to what I should do. I just wouldn't know what to do. He still died for me. He knew there were times I was going to be ungrateful for all that he'd given me, and he still died for me. He knew that I would really be a, um, I'd live out my favorite hymn. My favorite hymn is Come Thou Fount. And there's a line in that hymn that said, says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love and yet he still died for me. Can I tell you this? First John 4.10, this is love. Not that you loved God, but that he loved you. And he gave himself as a propitiation for your sin. That on the cross, Jesus took all the wrath of God And he died and he rose from the dead. And then his spirit moves. And when you put your faith in him, that wrath turns to favor. Don't miss the Holy Spirit speaking right now. There's gonna be some staff members, men and women up here that will pray with you. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. We'll There's people in the foyer. You can talk to one of us. We'll be around after the service. But but let's have a time of response where we respond to the voice of God. Would you come to Jesus? Isn't it time to refocus and return? Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, we give you this moment. We look to you in this moment. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move us now. In Jesus' name, amen.